everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. Rapid advances in computers, computer code, connected computers and information communication and digital technologies are transforming the ability of each nation, its government, industries, organizations, academia, in short referred to as NGIOA, to better collect, analyze and use its information and data as never before in cyberspace, geospace and space, in short referred to as CGS. Integrated digital networks across CGS, fueled by the rapid advances, have removed the traditional barriers to effectively share data and information, unleashing the capacity of digital technology to revolutionize our economic, professional, social lives. This phenomenon has given rise to the cyber ecosystem, a complex and connected cyberspace, geospace, and space community of interacting devices, networks, things, people, and entities across NGIOA and the environment of associated infrastructure, processes, and technologies supporting these complex interactions. The cyber ecosystem's ability to simplify the sharing of data and information has simultaneously given each NGIOA its greatest advantage and its greatest disadvantage. The disadvantage come from the vulnerability of infrastructure, information, and interest in cyberspace, geospace, and space to theft, alteration, or destruction by criminals or other malicious actors. Irrespective of geographical location, any localized disruption in cyberspace or through cyberspace can rapidly trigger a cascading sequence of events that can cause widespread disasters across entire CGS networks and communities. Each entity across NGIOA has been unwillingly and unknowingly exposed to the unwanted contagion effects that thrive in the rapidly expanding cyber ecosystem while each entity need to transform their use of information, communication and digital technology to maximize benefits at the same time. They must also develop cyber resilience, the ability to powerfully resist, react to and recover from potentially catastrophic cybersecurity threats and reshape their CGS environments for increasingly secure and sustainable cyber operations. To discuss this further, I'm delighted to welcome Professor Arun Sood. Arun is the CEO at Skid Labs and also a professor of computer science and director of the International Cyber Center at George Mason University, uh, Virginia. Welcome, Arun. We are delighted to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you. Good to be here. Great, Arun. So let's, uh, for the benefit of our global viewers and listeners, let me begin by asking you a very fundamental question. What is cyber resilience? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, the, because resilience is new in the cyberspace, there are many definitions. So let me tell you my preferred definition. Typically, people define resilience as soft continuity of operations. The basic suggestion is that if something goes wrong, the mission still must be completed. So if you can somehow keep going then that is considered to be, the system is considered to be resilient. Yes. In my work, I've taken a slightly different view. I think the idea of having continuity of operations is fundamental and required. There's no doubt about that. But there is another element which must be, must be uh, implemented or must be incorporated in the system. And that has got to do with 
the amount of degradation that is acceptable. So if you have resilience, operations are continuing, but performance is deteriorating, now you have a problem. So we suggest that not only should you have continuity of operation, but you must have the ability to restore performance to the, to, to the design state at some time intervals. And that time interval is something which you could, uh, which you control. Does that, does that make sense? Yes, yes, absolutely. It does make sense. So how, how can any entity across NGO, across nation or any industry create a cyber resilience, you know, strategy or a plan? How can they go for it? Yeah, well, the, typically people build cyber resilience by just monitoring the systems and assessing if the performance to, to make sure continuity of operation. So you see, uh, well, is the system available? Your system is online, you can check whether it's available. If the system is available, you say, hey, this is good. So typically that's how this is done. In our approach, we are of the view that we should uh, make sure that the performance is restored to an acceptable level. And to yes. achieve this, we do a trade-off with computer cycles. We basically spend, expend some computer cycles essentially to keep track and ensure the systems can be restored to a pristine state at regular time intervals. Now, how frequently you do it has an impact about how much computing power you require. If you agree to do it over long periods, computing power requirements are low. But if you want to do it more rapidly, then your computing powers are required higher. Yes, yes. No, that is very true. Now you are you are talking about computer cycles. So can you, for explanation to the our global viewers and listeners, can you explain what you mean by a computer cycle? Right. So uh, the issue here is if you go into the cloud, for example, mm -hmm. you have these concepts of out of scaling. You have effectively, when you want it, more uh, more, uh, more uh, services are provided to you automatically. To provide those services, of course, you need computer cycles because every time you extend the service, you have to expand computer cycles. And that's, I think, what we are talking about is those kind of cycles which are needed to ensure um, a properly resilient system being restored to a, a predetermined state. So it's basically computer cycles. It's If you like, computer cycles can be translated into amount of computer power being assigned to this particular activity. Okay, okay, now that makes sense. Now, how would you describe a cyber resilient organization? You Have you come across any entity across any industry within the United States or any other, you know, a nation that you would feel comfortable to say that, yeah, this is a cyber resilient organization? Well, uh, I think organizations are being set up. I can't really point out this, but this concept of resilience is not, uh, uh, it's not that new, right? I mean, people have been doing resilience, for example, in transportation systems. You, you know that if something goes wrong, 
you have to restore it. Look at what happened in Mumbai. The same problem took place. You had uh, a disastrous attack, but people were able to get back to full operation very quickly in the order of, you know, a few hours. Quite unusual. So, so, so that is an example where resilience. And what did that require? That required that there was a continuous planning before the attack, which actually led to this. And that is what you have to do in cyber resilience also. You have to plan and act on it before you need to use those services. And th th that's what I was talking about, uh, uh, computer cycles. Look, there is an issue here. If you're trying to minimize the, the so-called wastage of computer cycles, then you do certain things. Like, for example, all your servers are of the same type. All the software you use is of the same type. Now that reduces cost, but also has an impact on security. Because now if somebody somebody discovers how to compromise one system, they know how to compromise all systems. So if you, if you take that viewpoint, then a resilient system has got to be, you have to build in some capability, which may at some time look as a waste, but when you have to recover, that is the wastage actually help work quickly. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to compare this to the transportation system on a one-to-one -one basis here. No, it makes sense. And I agree with your point that, you know, it is the continuous planning that you have to do that would help you achieve the resiliency. And uh, that makes perfect sense. And that was a good example. So let, let I mean, let's talk about uh, the human factor that is involved in the, uh, risk that we face by like while many security threats are assignable to human factor I mean it could be careless staff cyber criminals uh, any you know nation state who is trying to cause damage many continue to relate in addition to that many continue to relate to natural disaster such events often cripple the physical critical infrastructure in geospace as we see you know like oil industry uh, that is on a Gulf Coast. If a hurricane, you know, is uh, going to uh, come, then you know it is at a grave risk. So, uh, in those and also data centers, telecommunication networks, and all that that are, you know, physically in geospace, so they are all at risk. Uh, so, as cyber resilience considers not only the confidentiality and integrity of information, but also its availability. How should entities prepare for cyber resiliency towards natural disasters? Because it's not just uh, the risk coming from the cyberspace, but also the risk coming from the geospace or, you know, human factor in natural disasters or human factor that they all play a role here. So how can entities prepare for cyber resiliency towards natural disaster? Okay, uh, let's let's stick to cyber. National disasters, we'll talk about a little bit. Let's start with cyber, right? So the point in cyber is when you are going to plan for resilience, you are going to have some amount of resource set, up, set aside so that it is continuously being ensured of resilience. Okay, so uh, one way to look at this is, and this is the way we try to design our system, is to say that, look, we don't know 
when a failure is going to take place. So we anticipate a design to based on an unexpected failure. One other good example of this is, for example, for uh, uh, there, there is a software package which uh, Netflix uh, uses called Chaos Monkey. What they are trying to do is to make sure that their software is always resilient. So they say, let's say that you have got n number of uh, active uh, VMs. Your software must be such that if there is a failure in one of those VMs or 10 of those VMs, you continue to be in operation. So they actually induce failures. They induce failures, and by inducing failures, they, they are now able to test if their software systems are built to be resilient. Okay, so that is so effectively the point I'm trying to make is there is this conflict. Resilience is going to require that you have some spare capacity. It is going to be, which if you look at the way people are designing systems today, they're trying to increase utilization. They want to go up and up and up and in utilization. That's good. But if you don't have any spare capacity, or if you don't have planning for spare capacity, then this, this is going to be a trouble. Now, the question is, the trick is, how do you design systems so the spare capacity can be a minimum? And that's what we are focused on. So we are basically focused on trying to build systems in such a fashion that we constantly restore systems to pristine state all the time. So that if there is some impact on this capacity requirement, we try to keep that all to very minimum. And in our experiments, we have shown that in many cases, the impact on uh, response time at the user is very small, less than one person. So, you know, there is, so that's basically what our, uh, I think the concept is simple. To, to do resilience, you need spare capacity. And that is what is, what many people in the IT world are concerned about because they are trying to minimize spare capacity. So here you say, hey, listen, you're going to do resilience, you need spare capacity. So that increases cost. The effort is to try to make sure that that increase in cost is kept to a minimum. Yes. Yes, no, I, I understand, you know, what, uh, what you're trying to say. I mean, there are integrated factors where, you know, we'll have to consider when we are trying to achieve cyber resiliency, like also human factors, you know, what are the risk comings from, you know, human uh, error or, you know, even natural disasters, all those play a role because data centers and everything, you know, or the backups and, uh, you know, that we have, it could be in geospace and everything, you know, is interconnected. So every everything needs to be a part of planning when we are trying to achieve cyber resiliency but let's go to another uh, let's discuss something uh, else that you know it is not only why entities across ngio need to be resilient but rather how they can achieve sustainable resilient operations in the cyber ecosystem entities across ngio must decide how they will achieve their objectives and outcomes within an CGS ecosystem, which is all interconnected, in which individual survival is never guaranteed, and yet they go individually towards their cyber resiliency or security goals. 
uh, each entity across NGIO, they work in silo. So how would they achieve cyber resilience in silo when everything is interconnected? You're absolutely right. So uh, I, I, to put it into uh, uh, um, the terms of cyberspace, what you're really suggesting is, and, and the, many people are doing this, that if you uh, are going to have a large data center, you must have some another entity which can be used as a backup if there is a failure. So you design your system to be distributed. You design the system to be distributed, and you're sharing across these entities will actually increase the level of resilience you have. Okay, but that means another another location, maybe another physical location, so that if there is a failure at you know. At one location, you could have a, a tornado or something, which makes it difficult to operate in that location. And now, if you have in the past planned for this, you would then be able to shift operations to another location where it'll be you'll get a better result. So that's what I mean by when I say that you have to plan for resilience. It is not automatic, you know. You yes. and that planning has to recognize that there will be some amount of spare capacity required. There will be some amount of physical space to go. So, and and our our effort is to try to keep this additional space. That if and the, I guess the way I would put it is, if you do this right at the planning stage, you can make sure that the cost of this additional capacity is kept to a minimum. Yes, no, very true, very true. Now, while entities are trying to be cyber resilient, cyber attacks may take the form of persistent malicious action by third parties it could be anyone you know uh, nation state or uh, uh, individual or group of people that that are intent on creating systemic harm or disruption with concomitant financial losses now when the systems are a threat is there an effective way to determine the extent of an event extent of threat or how to remedy it and how to recover from that quickly yeah, that's a that's another good problem. So the the issue here is uh, there are many challenges in security, but two of them are often the focus of a lot of work. One of them happens to be false negatives. You say everything is okay, you feel comfortable, but somebody has actually got into the system. So your systems did not detect everything. So they detected most of the things, but a small piece escaped. But the traffic volumes are so high that even a small, uh, sm small loss in detection, small failure in detection, leads to damage. And the other one is false positives. The false positives idea is that you get a whole bunch of uh, alerts, but more, most of those alerts are not because of a real in intrusion, but it's basically a false alert. Now, when you have a false alert, you don't really know. You, you cannot figure out, since you don't know whether this is not, whether this is false or real, you spend all this energy and manpower on trying to understand that false alert. So this is a large component of the total cost. So if you can somehow manage to reduce that component of the cost, that can be real advantage and i think that is where 
you can help reduce the cost of resilience. If you can manage the, you can somehow use your resilience techniques to manage the false positives you're getting. Now you reduce the cost of false positive processing and yet you make your system more resilient and that basically gives you a good way to balance off the additional cost you need. Yes, yes, no, very true. Now, as the role of technology in the provision of financial services has deepened, the degree of interconnectedness and interdependencies between operators in financial markets is very high and growing. And both cyber attackers and their motivations are becoming very diverse, more diverse, I would say, and intense day by day, bringing renewed threats from unexpected sources. This is pushing cyber threats as a growing systemic risk to financial market infrastructure, in short, referred to as FMIs. This is a cause of grave concern. How is the industry addressing the systemic risk? Well, um, they're addressing this by spending a lot of money. So the, the, the number of... Uh, uh, Cybersecurity experts in many of these companies have ex expanded tremendously. Uh, there are reports of how um, leading uh, American banks are spending uh, huge amounts of uh, money to recruit people and to buy devices. Now, one strategy which people use is called defense in depth. It's def in defense in depth, the idea is that you use layers of defense to make sure that you capture incoming um, attack at, as early as possible. So th that's what the idea of defense in depth is. But the cost, defense in depth itself is quite costly because now you have to have all these devices. All these devices need to be properly configured. There have been cases where the configuration was uh, was not the right way, and you you were, you felt overconfident. That everything was okay, but you got actually the attack actually succeeded. So defense in depth, I think in generally it's accepted defense in depth is a good strategy to protect your resources. And I think most people will agree to that that it's a good a good strategy. But you have to be prepared to expend the resources to make the defense in depth strategy work. You can't just uh, um, you. you you can't just install equipment and then hope everything is going to work out. But you need the additional. So in terms of manpower, you need well-trained uh, personnel as well, as well as you probably need constant exercises to make sure that your uh, the, the, the strategies which you are implementing actually prevent bad things from happening. Yes. So, so let me just suggest there is uh, one way to look at this idea is to think in terms of what is called the cyber kill chain. The idea of the cyber kill chain is to really simulate how an attacker works. And the cyber kill chain, which some people are now beginning to adopt, consists of three steps. Get in, stay in, and act. Most of the devices are focused on trying to make sure that nobody gets into the system. That's a very difficult problem and failures are taking place. So the other two steps of stay in and act 
are steps which can be added to your mix to get additional depth, uh, defense in depth. Uh, and our focus, our research focus in this area has been on trying to disrupt stain and to try to disrupt the, the act parts of the kill chain. That's very interesting, cyber kill chain. Now we should uh, probably, you know, talk about that in depth, you know, in the coming session. That's a really good uh, point that you made. That now the biggest challenge in making financial market infrastructure cyber resilient is managing their complexities, interconnectedness, and interdependencies by proactively addressing failures, adopting effective resilience techniques, and resolving problems through cooperation. Now, resolving problems through cooperation seems like a daunting task because in this, you know, system that we have across nations, everyone is looking out just for themselves. Nobody's effort is to look out for other, you know, entities within their industry or across their industries. So resolving problems through cooperation seems like a very daunting task to me. How does the industry plan to achieve that? And how would they go forward? What are your thoughts on that? In this, uh, in this, in this particular space, as applied to the cyberspace, we're just going to talk about the cyberspace right now. Sure. So, so you, there are a, a groups set up. Uh, one of them is FSISAC, Financial Services ISAC, which actually facilitates information sharing among members of the ISAC. Uh, okay. ISAC stands for. Uh, I have to check this out. FSISAC is, uh, I think, it's information sharing um, action center. Financial security information uh, sharing something. You know, I, I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, so FSISAC is a particularly active entity, and they become a clearinghouse of, uh, I once they identify a new threat they become a clearinghouse of that threat to its members. Um, I, I think what you're suggesting clearly is uh, something which is not only restricted to the US, but has to be worldwide. Because if somebody gets into the uh, financial infrastructure, recently there's a report of a bank in Bangladesh, that there's a problem with the, the they, they lost a whole bunch of money and now they're almost, trying to figure out. Yeah, almost a billion dollars, right? That's what yeah, I heard about. So, so, so and, and the, the, there were some entities in the US involved in this whole uh, activity. I think one of the uh, federal banks was uh, involved with it. But, but that, the, the issue here is our systems are interconnected. Exactly. Either through SWIFT or through whatever mechanism, they're all interconnected. And if there is, a large failure in one large part of the system and it percolates somewhere else, it's a very difficult thing. So things like FSISAC are probably very wise ways to deal with it. The question is, how do you scale it across the world? That is something which is a, is a difficult problem. Uh, I And you know, there these are not only entities in the US and um, in um, in Europe and Asia, but you know the African countries have a large number of uh, banking institutions, and have the So you're absolutely right. Uh, I don't know that I have a solution to this problem, but uh, there, there has to be some sort of an international FSISAC kind of an operation. Uh, there, there, there needs to be a 
global effort uh, so that you know each and every entity across industries and especially the financial industry because there's so much at stake and if they're not interconnected even if there is a damage in one part of the world you know it is going to there's going to be a domino effect so that is uh, i hope that you know the decision makers here or you know the people involved take some actions so that you know this can be addressed in a proper you know interconnected interdependent manner now let's talk about the cyber criminals and attackers that are using increasingly sophisticated methods I think they are using a new class of intrusion known as advanced persistence threat or entry points through which an FMI, financial market infrastructure, could be attacked. They're also multiplying, uh, you know, rapidly. And the social engineering, of course, you know, that is used very widely as a means to deliver malware into IT systems. So given their speed, sophistication, range of motivations, and pervasive scope, cyber attacks bring uh, or it could bring unique challenges to financial market infrastructures operational risk management frameworks now how is that being addressed well let's look at two different uh, groups which have tried to develop some guidelines on how to make systems uh, uh, let's say more secure one is nist which has this uh, cybersecurity framework which has been, uh, I think it is now in revision four. Uh, so th this basically gives you, a, identifies a bunch of controls and basically suggests that you should implement those controls to protect your systems. More recently for the financial sector, there is this group called FFIEC. I can't remember the this acronym, but it's FFIEC. You could check it up on the web. That, that has produced, uh, uh, a guidelines which will be used by regulators when they go visit the various banks. So they've got very specific cybersecurity guidelines which are of interest in uh, um, which are of interest to the uh, uh, for uh, uh, bank regulators uh, review of uh, their member institutions. And uh, in this particular case, they have specifically looked at the persistence of systems. That is, like you were talking about APT, that is a persistence issue, that the bad guys persist in your system for a long time. Like I was talking about earlier, three things, get in, stay in, and act. Get in is what you're trying to prevent from people getting in. Now stay in is the APT, stay in and act at the APT situations. So if you can somehow or the other make sure that no bad guy stays in the system for long periods of time, I don't mean to underemphasize the difficulty of this problem. It's a huge problem because you could be that there is also the uh, the question is exactly how somebody gets in is not always well known. You just have to discover it through hard work. Uh, and But if we can build systems and the FFIC has some examples which basically talk about uh, public-facing websites should be restored to a sort of a pristine state. They are trying to emphasize this problem. In the case of the uh, NIST uh, framework, they have a new uh, requirement called SI14, which actually focuses on high assurance systems 
managing, restoring things so that persistence is used or reduced. So uh, you're right. These are important things. Uh, um, and but I think maybe the complexity of the problem can be underscored by talking about. I read somewhere uh, that uh, McAfee reports are detecting uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, uh, malware every year. Now, yes, and that is true. So now you have a problem. I mean, it's not one or two. There's so many of them. Now, are they all unique? Are they all connected? Or they're different? All that has to be figured into this uh, analysis. But you have a challenge. That's yes. a, And that is the complexity of the problem. The, this problem is hard. It is not easy. And our weakness has been that we have been coming up with uh, uh, <coughs> You know, we have come up with a silver bullet every now and then, you know, and then we say, okay, this silver bullet, everything is okay. But very soon you discover that that silver bullet doesn't doesn't quite catch, match up to the problem. That so is this is a this is the challenge here. Yes, it is. Now, in the face of complex cybersecurity risk, it seems that the first and most important step is to proactively carry out standard systems and hygiene according to some guidelines uh, that were provided by center of internet security now while standard hygiene is a start it simply cannot prevent all cyber attacks as such leading firms are moving beyond prevention and focusing on resilience which is the focus of the today's dialogue so we talked about you know in brief how the cyber resilience planning uh, you know needs to be done in the beginning of the session but uh, how are industries actually trying to achieve cyber resilience? Because uh, the guidelines are there. Some, in the, some entities uh, within the financial sector, especially if we talk about uh, cyber resilience is a focus right now in the financial sector. Other industries are, still have to catch up on that. So how, is, how are the major financial firms trying to achieve the cyber resiliency you know uh, if you can share you know your observations uh, I, uh, cyber resilience i believe is being looked at in most of these companies an extension to cyber security this is the next step towards uh, after cyber security and look everything you do in cyber security has got this problem of people process and technologies you just pointed out their people problems, their process problems, their technology problems, right? And uh, I don't know that there is a very easy way to say which one is the most difficult one. The, the issue about hygiene is usually deals with the people problem. That, that you, know, you try to do um, uh, awareness studies, you need to do challenge people to make sure they don't make mistakes. But this is hard. There are thousands of people involved, hundreds of thousands of people involved. Every one of them has a life. You know, they, they, they go through different paths. They may not make the mistake on day one, but if their situation there is different on day two, they may make the same mistake. So it, it's, not, it's not an easy problem. My personal feeling is that it is not enough to look at each of these aspects separately. You have to really look at all of them in some sort of a collaborative fashion. And uh, uh, I, I often say that enhanced security 
typically means there is going to be more inconvenience. You increase security, your convenience goes down. And yet you want the security. So what are you going to do? You really have to develop incentives for people to actually accept the security paradigms in spite of the inconvenience which is caused. Yes. And, and that, is, that is the model which can be used to check for resilience as well as the security paradigms which are operational. Right, right. No, you're. Uh, that it is a very complex task, like you said, and it's uh, going to be interesting to see how this is implemented effectively. Now, it seems that the Federal Financial Institutions Examination Council, the FFIEC, that you just you were talking about, specifically calls out key cybersecurity risks such as distributed denial of service attacks, the need for more due diligence of third parties and infrastructure interdependencies uh, regulators have, and being telling banking leaders that it needs to be addressed. How much progress is being done, you know, from your observation within the financial sector? I, well, this, uh, these guidelines were published, uh, I believe, in June or July of last year. Yes. Uh, and uh, they are now, uh, you know, I talked to one bank who basically passed these, uh, these tests. So I, I guess, I, I think we should recall one aspect. FFIC has two parameters they talk about in trying to uh, trying to identify which bank should follow which guideline. So they have this thing called the inherent risk in a bank. And by looking at the inherent risk, they basically tell you, hey, this is the maturity your organization should have. The very large banks have very high inherent risk. Because they have very high inherent risk, they should be at the innovative level in cyber maturity. If you are a, a, a smaller bank, a $5 billion bank, you don't need to be at the innovative level. But you, you, they, they, they come up with five levels of, uh, of computer maturity. Innovative is the highest one. They ex basically, the argument is, depending on your inherent risk, you would choose a different model for computer maturity. Uh, another example is one of the, in, for example, if you're not connected to the internet, if your bank doesn't get connected to the internet, okay, or you're, you're sort of isolated from the internet. I don't think any bank is in today's world, but you can, as a limiting case, if your bank is not connected to the internet, then your inherent risk is going to be lower and you can have less mature systems. But if you, as soon as you get connectivity to the, uh, to the internet, your inherent risk starts rising. So that that is the, the compromise you make in this uh, the, the recommended FFIAC report. Right, right. I know you're right about that. Now, in addition to business continuity guidance, the FFIAC also notes five cyber resilient risk banking institutions and their service providers need to address in their business continuity plans, which includes, I think, malware attacks, insider threats, data or systems destruction, DDoS, and uh, attacks that are based simultaneously. So do you think banks and credit unions should be bracing for more expanded IT examination process as a result of these new cyber resilience guidelines? I'm sure they will be. They yeah. will. Um, banks, 
the two or three banks which I've been working with, which are smaller banks, they are all aware of FFIC requirements. And they want to be the 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 all banks want to avoid being uh, highlighted by the regulator, and the bank directors also don't want to get highlighted by the regulator. Yes. And uh, at a recent meeting which I attended, everybody around the table in mentioned that all board meetings the direct board of director meetings cyber security is high on the agenda they may not understand cyber security but they are aware that this is a problem and they need to to pay attention to it so you're absolutely right this is uh, the the publication of these guidelines actually helps elevate the reasoning and the thinking about this at a higher level inside the bank yes yes very true now to address the increasing risk posed by malware if we talk about that the ffic recommends institutions and service providers to implement layered anti-malware strategies um, to mitigate insider threats institutions should regularly screen employees ensure that duties are segregated strong passwords and you know so on but uh, if we talk about the layer and time malware strategies, how do entities achieve that? They may actually have to go go to service providers. The service providers could actually help you achieve those kind of goals. Small, most banks will not have capability for, um, I mean, doing mal malware detection and malware removal and all these kind of things. Uh, yes, very large banks will because they need to do this more often. But in the smaller end, they won't be banks won't be able to do this. So they have to go and just use uh, services provided by uh, security vendors. Security vendors provide this kind of service, and this is becomes a, a means of. And to, coming back to the global uh, cyber threat level, again, many people have to eventually rely on these agents these uh, services provided by the private sector and you know or maybe national uh, so so there are these things called certs these certs every nation has a cert and they are all trying to build the cyber infrastructure uh, in those country the countries itself so what ffic is doing is focus on the us banks some of the European banks which operate or other international banks operating in the US also have to follow the same guidelines. And this will, in, in a sense, percolate to those countries itself as a yes. guidance on how to uh, uh, how to protect the banks. Yes, yes, no, no, true. Uh, there needs to be, of course, you know, a lot of effort in that direction. But let's talk about data replication. Because it seems that data replication may be an effective way to recover data that has been corrupted or destroyed somehow. But because backup systems also could be vulnerable to cyber attacks, institutions across industries, if you talk about financial sector, uh, then institution across financial sector and their third parties should consider adding so-called air-gapped data backups. Now, these are data that is backed up and stored on segregated computers 
systems or networks that have no physical contact with internal systems and networks. It's just, you know, very separate system for its protection. Now, how widely is this strategy in use across uh, industries? Uh, or if we talk about, you know, financial industry, how widely the organizations uh, in the financial sector are using these so-called air gap data backups? Yeah, so this is a good point. Uh, not only how they're using it, how, how frequently do they back up the systems? Yes, that That's is another element. So, so now you have given another example of the point I was making earlier, that if you want to be secure, if you want to be resilient, you have to plan it into the system. You have to create this backup. If you create this backup, if you have this backup strategy, now if something goes wrong, you can back up, go to the backup and pick it up. Right. That's so. It's really you see that in some some way, the industry has already accepted that there is a cost to be resilient. Yes. There is a cost to be secure. It, it, that is that's part of uh, uh, now. At what level this will be and how this will work? Now your uh, air gapped uh, backups. Yes, this is a problem. You may you may want to do some limited connectivity to the system, open the window, back up, create a air gap. So th there are strategies like this which can actually uh, help you do this. But uh, you're right, multiple locations and the air gap system should be far away from the, your uh, your right. operation systems. Otherwise, you don't have the same advantage. Right. So there are those geographic uh, situations which have to be taken into account. Yes, absolutely. Now, in addition to that, there is also this factor of cloud-based disaster recovery services that are a part of the resilience program. These services have unique data integrity risk and therefore financial institution management. I think they should address services, these each of these services before they implement that and reassess them periodically after deployment as the technology capability and threats change every single day and when it comes to cloud services there are you know very rapidly increasing threats uh, in that area so cloud based disaster recovery services has its own unique and rapidly growing risk how is the financial industry addressing that and managing that this is a very good, i think it's a very good point and coming back to let's look at another thing so we th think of your issue you were raising earlier about uh, financial infrastructure and how it is so interdependent. All right. So you think of banks. Let's say many banks, each bank has decided to use the cloud for certain operations. Okay, that's good. Cloud reduces cost. Mm -hmm. But if all the banks use only one cloud manager, the risk to the nation goes up tremendously. Because if there's a failure in, the, in that particular cloud provider, now you have a, and the cloud providers are supposed to be big. You can't have small, I mean, you, if you want to get the right amount of cost reduction, cost management, and so you have to cloud uh, provider, cloud service providers. And if you have only very few cloud service providers, you have a problem. So what we're coming to is very simple. They're really the best way to get security and to get resilience is through two 
particular strategies. One, you need to have redundancy. The higher the redundancy, the higher the level of re re resilience you'll get, the higher the, you know, the part of the, the solution. Yes. And the second, the second strategy is diversity. The more the diversity, the more system is likely to be resilient because if there's going to be a failure, it's going to be only certain kinds of things as compared to others. But think of this, both redundancy and diversity lead to more cost. Yes. If you have, so that, that is the, it is this recognition that this is going to cost more, but you need it for protecting the infrastructure to protecting not only your own one bank, but the national financial services sector. This, this becomes a, a critical point to, to think through. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. It's a good point that you're making there. Now, cyber attacks against the financial system are becoming more frequent. I mean, everybody's after the financial industry. Uh, and also, they are getting more sophisticated, all these cyber attacks. Now, given the critical role the financial market infrastructure play in promoting the stability of not only the financial system, but overall the global economy, there is a growing concern that the current efforts to move the industry towards the achievement of faster target recovery objectives are moving very slowly. What are your observations? How do nations step up the resilience and recovery effort when it comes to the financial industry? I mean, all these groups that are being formed and they're issuing guidelines and uh, they were trying to, you know, make the industry uh, adapt that. But how fast is this, you know, moving forward? I think you, the, I, I, the, let's let me put it this way. <clears throat> Every day you see a new device coming into the marketplace for security, including the stuff which we are trying to build. So we have got a new device coming up. But the, if you are a practitioner who has to decide which device to adopt, you are in real trouble because you have no you you already got a whole bunch of infrastructure, a lot of depart, uh, defense in depth. Now you're trying to figure out where is all this going? So this is a very, uh, th this is right now, uh, while th th this industry is relatively new. So I, as this industry matures, there's going to be some select things will be become more important than others. Yes. But I, I really, I want to emphasize one other aspect. We have talked to, we have sort of focused on, uh, um, on the financial services sector, but I think essentially because of the mobility of the, the human race, I mean, we are moving all over the place. You have similar concerns, in my view, in the healthcare sector. You, you have people are mobile, people are trying to carry their information. I go to a, uh, uh, to a foreign country and I fall sick. Now what happens? Can the past information which has already been collected in place X be used in place Y? And if you can, then you have another dangerous situation. Will somebody misuse it? So. I think uh, financial sector is uh, critically important and its interconnectivity has been well understood and people are trying to address it. But there are other sectors where there is also interconnectivity which comes in because of the mobility of uh, people and which may also be probably should be considered at as much of a risk as the financial sector.
Yes, yes, no, that is very true. Uh, in addition to this, of course, interconnectivity, the, those are huge risk and, you know, uh, pretty much everyone is trying to ignore it at this point, but that is somewhere where we need to put all our efforts and that's what we are trying to do. But there's also growing concern that the focus is more on just technology. The approach should not only cover just uh, IT infrastructure or just technology, but also people, processes, and communication when we are trying to address cyber resiliency and recovery. What are your thoughts? How widely you know, are these interconnections or interdependencies between people, processes, communication, technology are being addressed uh, if we talk about financial industry especially? But in each, each of these industries, at least they pay lip service to this. In in the case, for, like what you were talking about, uh, uh, you know, uh, cyber hygiene or basically trying to keep your uh, processes as uh, up-to-date as possible. Uh, people are paying attention to this. People in the industry, people are building systems which keep which provide assistance for this purpose so they can monitor uh, what's going on and pro provide uh, uh, alerts to uh, to uh, technology alerts but still alerts which can be used by managers to monitor what's going on in their groups so there are efforts in this and uh, i i suspect even more work uh, will be done because uh, insider threat is uh, is a big deal and so there are two issues. One is uh, malicious uh, folks and the other people making inadvertent mistakes. Uh, and uh, how do you compare the two of them and decide which one is the problem at any one time is also important. So this is not, uh, this is still work in progress. But you're absolutely, you're, there are things which are being done for, uh, to, to make sure that the mistakes being made are are properly managed okay yes. but the, the, you know we are all human beings we do things which are strange at times so uh, just assuming that everybody is going to become an automaton is probably not a very wise idea so 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 you have to design the system assuming there will be a failure yes and so you have these uh, desktop exercises which basically say okay if a failure takes place how do you recover from that failure right. okay so that's i think if we are going to look at resilience we have to look at it from the viewpoint of saying these are the potential failures and some of the failures we don't even know about like the failure that i talked about if all the banks are using the same cloud provider something happens to the cloud provider are you modeling that failure into your system i don't know how many people are but you can come up with these kind of analysis of failures and see which of the failures are of more uh, importance to you more systematic uh, uh, impact on your on your bank or your financial services sector is probably uh, well worth uh, spending some time thinking through that is true. That is true. Now, and the by the way, it's not only it's not only financial services and uh, um, healthcare. Think in terms of water. Look, yes, it's, it's, it's the same problem, right? I mean, you, when you do not have spare capacity, yes, you you then even small failures have tremendous impact. Thank and you. and I think the same thing is true of infrastructure. Uh, 
you know, they're, they're, I'll, two years ago, all the traffic invoice, forget about two years. Just uh, yesterday, the metro in Washington, D.C. was shut down for 24 hours. The whole metro is shut down because yes. there are there are they have discovered problems they 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 discovered failures and they decided to shut everything down and fix those failures i think it's a personally it's inconvenient right again remember security leads to inconvenience leads to incentives it is inconvenient but if you want the security so that nobody gets hurt you have to suffer the inconvenience yes. so yes this is the balance which you have to uh, be prepared to accept. That is true. That is very true. Now, the focus of the majority of cyber attack continues to be on compromising confidentiality. People are stealing the sensitive data and degrading system availability. However, more recently, there are reports that the risk of attacks impacting the integrity of either the software or the data of, of financial market in, uh, infrastructure has been receiving increasing attention because of uh, those uh, vulnerabilities. Now, if the integrity of the software that is being used by the financial industry or any industry, you know, irrespective, if that is compromised, that is a cause of serious concern. So how should that be addressed? Carefully. <laughs> It's, 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 it, you've, okay, so let's look at another way of answering this question. Typically, cyber risk is considered to be a product of three things vulnerabilities, threats, and consequences. Yes. Okay. For each different consequence, you have a different solution. So, most of what people have been thinking is let's push the vulnerabilities to zero. If you push the vulnerabilities to zero, cyber risk will go to zero. It's a product of three things. You push one of them to zero. It's not happening. Yeah. The number of vulnerabilities are more than 70,000. The, the CVE data set has more than 70,000 vulnerabilities in it. Threats. It's very difficult to, in my worldview, to imagine a situation where all the threats will be terminated. So threats will become zero. That's not happening either. So what you what the solution has to be to try to reduce the vulnerabilities, try to reduce the threats, and to do it for consequence after consequence after consequence. You identify a consequence which you want to minimize, and then see how you can act across the spectrum. So for the different consequences you identified, the same thing is true. Nowadays, there is more and more write-ups coming up about ransomware. So that's another consequence, which is uh, uh, which impacts not only large banks, but even small operations. So we have this, uh, it's, it's a challenge. And there, it is not uh, something which uh, we can get overconfident and say, OK, everything is taken care of. And we have to agree, agree that there will be failures because the complexity of the system is so high, there is going to be a failure. Yes. And yes. how can we quickly recover from that failure has to be part of your strategy. And that is what I think. So when I, in our system, we talk about resilience, restoration, and recovery. 
we say that all these three things are required to be working together to reduce the amount of risk you're taking. Yes, yes, true. No, very true. Now, attackers, uh, cyber attackers especially, generally identify vulnerabilities to bypass intrusion detection tools. They exploit the gaps that exist between the subsystems within an industry or you know across industry and business processes in complex environments they also sometimes benefit from situations where of course legacy software lacks uh, sufficiently secure sufficient security support you know if you see critical infrastructures now currently cyber attackers exploit vulnerabilities in an individual institutions it infrastructure to unleash damage across the financial industry now this is very complex when it comes to managing security risk as we currently don't have an integrated security risk management framework with clear roles and responsibilities that could you know you could implement or that is there across industries because financial sector is not just within one nation it is like as we were talking before that it is you know uh, the bank that was damaged you know impacted recently in bangladesh i mean uh, those kind of challenges that, that they were not damaged because you know the problem happened there the problem happened somewhere else so the point is that you know we don't have effective integrated security risk management framework so wh how, what is the current state of an integrated cyber resilience approach there needs to be an integrated cyber resilience approach that goes without saying but there in my assessment, there isn't any integrated cyber resilience approach. There are, you know, FFIEC as you know, issued guidelines, but those are just guidelines. So, so okay, you're, you're, you're correct. You have, what I have seen are, first of all, the set of guidelines that talk from NIST, the, you know, the cybersecurity framework. Yes. There has been recently a, a framework proposed for the uh, by uh, especially popular in the defense uh, sector, uh, it's called the integrated mitigation framework. So it is focusing on mitigation. So cybersecurity was uh, focusing on prevention. This is focusing on mitigation. So there are efforts underway to try to build a resilience framework. But we are, you're absolutely right. We're not there yet. And, I think part of the thing is we are only now beginning to understand what the problem is. People didn't even have a clear, a clear understanding of uh, what the issues are. Uh, and uh, now that there is more, uh, uh, this in increasing understanding of what the uh, frame, uh, what the issues are. Uh, I think, uh, and and the, I personally, the issues is the interaction between these frameworks and what falls in between the gaps. Yes. So if you build, I've seen something called a resilience framework built by an organization. I think this particular framework relies heavily on the, on the detection scale. It basically says, after detection takes place, what do you do? The problem basically is there are a number of misses. The detection doesn't always work. And when the detection doesn't work, so we have to build things which don't rely on accepted bad practices, but on new kinds of practices. So you're right, need some more work needs to be done in this area. 
Yes, more work definitely needs to be done. Now, in the past, cyber resilience was focused on prevention, as we were talking before, and uh, measures often involve IT security solutions to existing systems. Now, recently, increasing amount of interest and investment are devoted to improving monitoring, detection, and recovery capabilities. Do you think the investments in this sector are sufficient and they're going in the right direction? So let me try to answer this in a slightly different way. There are two major problems in cybersecurity. One is for assurance. How, and that's what we've been talking about mostly. Assurance. How do you get information assurance? There's another problem. And that is attribution. The problem is, one of the reasons why this problem is so difficult is detect an attack, it takes you a long effort to find out where it started. People can hide very quite easily and making it more difficult to do attribution. And in my view, if you look at the literature, there is much more work done on assurance as compared to attribution. And maybe that's because attribution is more difficult than assurance. So you, you, if you are suggesting that more work needs to be done in all these sectors, you're absolutely right. But the, I think even some basic research as such needs to contribute to uh, the problems of attribution. And it's possible that if you if you can be if you can do reliable uh, attribution, make that would act as a deterrent to the attackers because it, right now the the attacker knows. The probability somebody is going to find them is low. Yes, yes. And so they have a much higher, uh, they're much easier. Uh, they go around taking more, the, the risk is a little less. What you have to do is to increase their risk by having more reliable attributions. Right, right, right. Not true. Now, cyber resilience is the capacity to ensure the survivability of operations irrespective of industry. Even if services have to be delivered in a degraded state, operations are designed to absorb the shock of an attack without systems totally breaking down. I think that's the goal. Now, recovery, therefore, encompasses both the resumption of activities at a level which is considered good enough for a certain period of time and full recovery, that is an eventual return to full services. What are the techniques that are used by FMIs to resume operations in the event of a successful cyber attack if you're talking about financial industry? Well, the usual practice. So you go through the following steps. The first thing is somehow they detect something has gone wrong. How do they detect it? You have detection devices. They tell you some of these stuff. But then many times it is basically third parties which are coming to you and saying you have a problem. OK, You're, you are you you want some credit cards and the Secret Service discovers that the, uh, these some credit card numbers are being sold in the underground. They come and tell you, hey, listen, your credit cards being sold in the underground. Now, that's how they discover that there's a problem. It takes a long time to get to this discovery stage. So you get, you find the discovery of this problem. After you find this problem, detect the problem, then comes the issue 
of root cause analysis. You know there's a problem. You know it is in your system. But you have thousands of machines. You have to find out where exactly this problem is. So you go through a root cause analysis. Once you go through root cause analysis, then you go through a process of restoration and recovery at that particular level. Okay. Now what you can basically say is that, look, I'm going to have a standby system. If I discover that something is wrong, I will do root cause analysis on the site, but move to the standby system quickly so that I don't lose customers, I don't lose performance, I don't lose, you know. So it is these kind of decisions which one has to make to make sure that you deliver, um, that your, your service is not interrupted. Yes. Did I answer your question or? Yes, yeah, I, uh, I mean, there is a lot that we can talk in there, but yeah, you, you're right on that point. Now, while cyber resilience is a relatively new approach, entities across nations realize it needs to be critically important part of their cybersecurity strategies in these, you know, uh, recent years. Now, this is an issue that is important to each and every entity across each and every NGIOA, that means every nation, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, empowering organizations to thrive in the face of all that is out there on the cyber landscape today. Apart from what cyber resilience look like for any organizations, how do we grow it? How do we make it a standard practice across industries and nations? It's a good question. Uh, I think maybe what you need to do is to uh, set up uh, well I think uh, it may be worthwhile to actually organize uh, teams of people to think about cyber resilience in different sectors and in some of the sectors at least these have to be transnational organizations not only one organization but you know I mean we have already discussed how uh, in the financial services sector, it's very highly interconnected. And because of that, just focusing on one country may not be enough. Uh, but that's a, that's an interesting. Uh, uh, I think maybe that's uh, something which you should take up as a charge and set up some uh, uh, cross-national organization, which actually deals with these kind of problems. Because look, the idea of resilience is not restricted to financial services sector. Yes, it interacts with other sectors and, you know, law enforcement, I mean, it interacts with many other sectors. So the whole idea of uh, uh, the sectors being uh, properly uh, I mean, taking care of the different sectors at the same time is, is tough. So. Yes. So yes, maybe, that, maybe that's, that should be your goal. When you talk about peace, you should think of a peace from a resilience viewpoint. You know, how do you get a resilient peace? Yes, yes, absolutely. No, that is uh, definitely something we are, you know, thinking about all the time and we are addressing that. And that is the, the reason we have come up with this integrated NGIOA approach in CTS. We are interconnecting, integrating everything. Nations is government, industries, organizations, academia and in cyberspace, geospace and space, because all of this is interconnected and that is our approach. So we are taking, you know, step forward in that direction. So I think, you know, I've taken a lot of your time, but uh, I don't, I would like to, I, 
talk about your recent ventures, Kit Labs. Uh, it seems that you have developed a product that helps entities across NGIOA in preventing the attackers to stay in for a longer time, uh, thereby preventing the larger damage that it could cause you to any entity that has been you know, compromised. Would you like to share information about Skit Lab's efforts uh, uh, and the product that it has created, its strengths, weaknesses, and also if you know someone is interested, uh, how they can you know uh, contact you and how they can you know get more information uh, to evaluate this further? Sure, absolutely. Is my I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Look, so we first of all to get information about Skit Labs, you could go to our website. It it's quite tells you quite a bit about what we do. It stands it's S C I T as in Thomas Labs.com. Skitlabs.com. Okay, so what we are, we are really focused very much on trying to ensure that the criminals don't stay in your system for long periods of time. And we, you know, we are trying to provide we are trying to conceptualize things. Which will work in an enterprise environment. We have implemented some of our stuff on a VMware platform. It's implemented on two cloud environments right now, both AWS and Rackspace. What is the goal here? The goal is very simple. It's 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 a two-step process. In the first step, we constantly have spare capacity and store systems, the computing systems to their pristine state at regular intervals. You come to me and say, hey, restore everything to a pristine state every hour, every 15 minutes, five minutes. I will tell you how much it will cost for you to do each of these things. But you restore things so that you're constantly working with a clean copy. You're not working with a damaged copy. That's step number one. The second step is before we take things offline, before we restart the system, we examine the, uh, the, the, the decommissioned uh, system to find out if it had been compromised. So we can sort of give you an IT early warning mechanism. Something came through the system in spite of your uh, IDS, I, uh, IPS, firewall, et cetera, et cetera. They got into your system. And now when you're shutting down and decommissioning the system, we examine it and say, hey, yes, this is what came through. And we can isolate it. So that's basically our goal. It's two things. This first uh, process is to achieve resilience, restoration, and recovery. We're doing resilience, fast restoration, depending on the cycle time you are uh, uh, subscribed, and you also recover to a pristine state regularly. That's step number one. Step number two is to do post-exploit analysis. Not detection, but post-exploit analysis to tell you what went wrong while your system was online. Good, good, good information, good background. So uh, I am sure that you know uh, our global viewers and listeners have a good understanding of what you are saying, and I'm sure they will be in touch with you uh, to get more information. Uh, so Arun, thank you so much for spending more than an hour with us. 
and to appear on Risk Roundup and uh, had such a you know uh, good dialogue about cyber resilience and recovery, which is the focus uh, at least at this point uh, in the financial sector. But you know, hopefully, each and every industry across nations would you know take up this cyber resilience uh, initiative and uh, make sure that you know their systems are ready so that we can prevent further damage. So thank you, Arun. Uh, it was really nice uh, talking with you and. Uh, I hope that as we go forward in our research and as we come across you know more uh, risk uh, that you would be willing to come up you know come on risk roundup again and we can have this dialogue very good thank you very much it's been fun thanks a lot great, great. thank you so there is a growing concern that cyber security or prevention efforts are no longer sufficient what entities across NGIOA need is a multi-layer cyber resilience approach resilience best practices methodology that is equally about security that is preventing a breach as it is about responding recovering and remaining operational uh, when a breach happens it is also about designing and managing an effective balance when a breach happens it's also about designing and managing an effective uh, balance of people processes and technology controls to best mitigate security risk in cgs as the focus of cyber resilience is recovery, there is an acknowledgement that cyber resilience is not just about information, communication, and digital technologies. Rather, it has a broader impact and relevance for each entity across NGIOA and its governance framework, people, technology, processes, and communication. An integrated security-centric risk management approach is essential, and it means that cyber resilience needs to be treated as part of the core business just as cybersecurity risk prevention and is not something uh, tacked into onto existing tasks. Risk groups, my organization, Cybersecurity Risk Research Center and Strategic Security Risk Research Center are created to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk facing NGIO and CGS. And we at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats, and peace to the management of conflict risk management is related to the management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict and it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two all three concepts feeding to each other we believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations tradition becomes our security so if you build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. So let's manage the existing and emerging risk together for more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup videos or to hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree Pandya, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.